It is the first Sunday of 2024, and for those of you that were not here on New Year's Eve, I want to say Happy New Year to you. Um, I'm excited to jump into the, the Word today. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Um, I really believe this. Uh, 2023 was a, a year of, of great growth for many of you, but I'm excited as we lean into God's Word, continue to lean in God's Word for what He wants to do in our midst, right? And so uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, we're going to begin what is really the last section of the book of Romans. And just for a reminder, if you have your note sheet, I encourage you to pull that out uh, and, and follow along with us. But we've talked about this before, how the book of Romans can be divided into four sections. Section one deals with the wrath of God, right? God's wrath towards sin and iniquity. Uh, section two talks about the grace of God. Section three, we learned about the plan of God, especially God's plan for the Jewish people, right? Now, finally, we are in this last section, and section four, if you will, deals with the will of God. What is the will of God for the believer? And I have to tell you, we're not going to hurry through this last section. Some of you are like, we didn't hurry through any of it. No, we're going we're to take our time, okay, in this last section because uh, this is where some great theology becomes practical theology. You know, it was generally Paul's pattern to begin his letters with some strong doctrinal teaching, and then he would follow that up with an exhortation on how on how to live. And so first he says, here's what God has done. And then he says, in light of that, here's how you ought to live. And, and there are some, honestly, who won't dig into a book like Romans because they say, you know what, it's just too theological, it's so heady and weighty. And they might say something like, it's not about head knowledge, it's about heart knowledge, and that sounds good. But hear me, in order to live how God wants us to live, we first need to understand our, our sinful condition, and we need to understand what God has done for us. Understand today, the Christian life is dependent on the great Christian doctrines of the church. It's why theology matters. It's why we study the Word of God line by line and we walk through the text. I want to give my life to the teaching of good doctrine because I want you to know the life change that comes from knowing God's Word and applying it to your life. That's one of the reasons we encourage participation in our community groups. A number of them are going to start up again at the end of the month. I know the men's group is meeting tomorrow night, but our community groups are a place where we take what we learn and what's taught on Sunday morning and we make it practical, right? We say, how do we apply this to our lives? We're going to begin a number of our community groups at the end of this month. You're going to hear more about getting plugged in, but I encourage you to do that. Don't just come here on a Sunday morning and say, oh, that was good. Get together with other believers and say, well, how do we live this out now? Amen? And so we're going to look at just two verses this morning, two verses, but there's so much in these verses that we can unpack, and I'm going to read there in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we do thank you that it is living and active. We thank you, Lord God, that in the year ahead, you desire to transform us by your word. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something in just these moments together this morning that would challenge us, that would change us, that would shape us to be the people of God that you've 
created us to be. And so we just thank you, Lord, for just the privilege, Lord, to spend time in your word. Holy Spirit, speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Depending on the translation you're reading, it might say urge or exhort or implore. Or if you're in the King James, anyone in the King James, what does it say? Beseech, right? Oh, we've got some King James readers in the house, right? There's a word we don't use very often, right? Beseech. You know, as much as I love the modern translations, that, that word kind of gets me. I beseech you, right? Paul is making this appeal to the church in Rome, but really to anyone who would read this letter. And it's his great desire is that they would not only hear, but they would act on what he's about to write. Now, the word appeal in the Greek is actually a compound word. It means to call by one side. It's the same word that's translated as comforter when referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit stands beside us, right? And he pleads with us to hear God's direction. And so think about this. Under the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul's words are the words of the Holy Spirit urging us to hear what we're reading. I appeal to you, therefore. Now, do you remember the rule, right? Anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask. What's the therefore, therefore? Good, you guys are listening, awesome. What is the therefore, therefore? And here's the thing, I think it's pointing us back to everything we've read so far in Paul's letter. Remember chapters one through eight, we saw some very clear doctrines regarding condemnation and justification and sanctification and glorification. Chapters nine through 11, Paul reminded us of many of the, the prophecies uh, regarding Israel. And so therefore, in other words, because of all of this, because we've been called by grace through faith, because we've been made right with God, because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live under the Spirit's leading. And so really all that we're going to look at in chapters 12 through 16 is going to be this exhortation to live into this position that we have as believers. Paul is writing to believers here, okay? How do I know that? Well, he says brothers or King James brethren, right? Paul is, is going to, he's writing to believers and he's writing about their God-given ability to live in this way. Now, what is the basis of Paul's great appeal to us? It's right there in verse one. It's the mercies of God. The word translated mercy could also be translated compassion. I hope you understand that God did not have to do anything for us, right? He, he could have left us in our sin. He could have simply condemned us for our sin. He would have been just in doing so. God didn't have to do anything, and yet he had compassion on us. And that compassion is so merciful because, again, you and I, we deserve to be enslaved. We deserve to be destroyed by sin. We deserve to be destroyed by the sin that we chose instead of God, right? The sin that we chose instead of God's goodness. But God's wondrous mercy is expressed to us as God calls us to himself. He calls us, and then he justifies us through his son, Jesus Christ. But think this morning uh, about all the mercies of God that you've received in your own life. There's space to write them down. Maybe jot a few of these down. There is justification from guilt. There's justification. We're now saved from the penalty of sin. There's adoption, right? We are adopted in Jesus. We have now this identification with Christ. We have been placed under grace, no longer under the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And so we have the promise of help in the midst of all affliction. We have an assurance of a standing in God's election. We have a confidence in, 
that coming glory. We have a confidence of no separation from the love of God, amen? We have a confidence in God's continued faithfulness. Those he justifies, he also glorifies. Understand, he glorifies us today by filling us with his Holy Spirit, by allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives. And even more than that, we know one day he's going to glorify these mortal bodies, right? All the backs that are aching from shoveling snow this morning, he's going to glorify those bodies, right? He's going to give us eternal bodies that are going to live with him in his presence forever. And so again, Paul is making this appeal, but you need to understand the basis of his appeal. The basis of his appeal is the amazing love of God that's been bestowed upon us. I have to tell you this morning, I'm not a very good salesman. I, I've had a lot of like odd jobs in my life. I work doing landscaping. I do construction for a while. I was a lifeguard for a day. Yes, a day. I was so bored out of my mind. I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I was even an exterminator for a time. Please don't call me if you have any pests in your house. That was back then, right? But the one thing that, that I never wanted, I never desired was a job in sales. Now, if you're in sales, God bless you, right? And there are times when you're selling a good thing, and so the job is easy, but generally salespeople are hired to sell things that don't sell themselves, right? If they sell themselves, we don't need salespeople, right? And so the job of a salesman is to make something look better, right? If you can do that, you'd be a good salesman. But I'm so thankful that God has called me to give my life and said to the preaching of his word. And I gotta be honest, I don't ever feel like I need to get up here on a Sunday morning and sell you something, right? I, I don't need to make the message more appealing. My calling as a preacher of God is to get the message right, not to edit the message and make it more appealing. You, you see, here's the reality. If, if the message is not received, I'm not gonna take it back. I'm gonna keep preaching it, all right? And, and I think the reason we're seeing so much confusion in the church today is because we have a generation of preachers who are asking, what do people want to hear rather than what does God's word say? They're asking, what gets me more likes on Instagram? What will trend? What do people want to hear? Pastor, if you are approaching the pulpit, that way you are a salesman and you're not a preacher of God's word. And so when I stand here at this pulpit and I appeal to you, I don't want to appeal to your desires, but rather I want to appeal to your greatest need. Your greatest need in this life, whether you know it or not, is the need of a savior. And, and I don't possibly think that I could take the truth of God's word and make them look any better. They are far greater than I can explain. But I understand, and I get it when Paul is saying, I beseech you, I implore you, I plead with you based on the mercies of God. In view of God's mercy in your life, past, present, and yes, his future mercy, I'm begging you, present your body as a living sacrifice. Here's the truth. We won't do something if we don't want to do it. <laughs> you will always do what you desire most in the moment. But, but Paul believed, as I believe, that these divine mercies of God, when they are understood, they have persuasive power over our wills. And so get this, Paul is appealing to our will when he says, I beseech you. He understands that the will is the master of the body. There is this thinking that the body needs to tell the will what to do, but the word of God says our will needs to bring the body as a living sacrifice. Understand today, your body is a wonderful servant, but it makes a terrible master. If, if you simply do in 2024 whatever your body wants to do, right? If you did that this morning, some of you would still be in bed right now, right? Maybe you're streaming this service from your bed, and if that's you... 
and you could have been here this morning. I hope you feel just a little bit convicted, okay? Because the reality was, if, if, your, if your body was a servant, you would have, it would have gotten you here, right? But maybe you allowed, and we all do this, sometimes we allow it to be our master rather than servant. And so Paul says, present your bodies. The word present is a, is a technical term. It's actually a, a Levitical term or a priestly term, meaning it describes what the priest did when they brought a sacrifice to the altar facing the Holy of Holies. Scripture made it clear that, that under the new covenant, we are a royal priesthood, amen? And, and because of that, we have some priestly duties. We are called to give to God. Many times I hear people say, man, Pastor, I just want all that God would give to me. For 2024, I want all that God wants to, to give me. But biblically speaking, that way of thinking is not correct. Because the Christian life is not about what God gives to you, okay? He's already given you everything you need for life and salvation. Now it's about what you bring to God. The, the Christian life is primarily an act of worship in which we give ourselves and we give our lives to God. You see, again, I believe the, the reason the church is in the condition it's in right now is that we, we've come up with this consumer mentality. We rate the gathering of the saints on Sunday morning by what we get from it rather than what we can give. We've become spiritual consumers rather than spiritual contributors. We say things like, well, I just want to go somewhere where I can be fed. And hear me today. I do think it's important that you would go somewhere where the word of God is clearly taught, right? Where the, there's a teaching of the word of God because without that, there will be no lasting change in your life. But for 2024, I wanna challenge you. Stop asking, am I getting all that God has for me? And instead begin to ask, am I giving God all that, that he has? Am I giving all that he deserves of me, amen? Not am I getting all from him, but am I giving to him what he deserves? In view of his mercies, am I worshiping him the way that he deserves to be worshiped? Am I bringing the sacrifice that he deserves, namely myself? Remember, Paul's given us 11 chapters of rich doctrine about salvation. This is the first time he gets practical, with the exception of there was a few encouragements, chapter 6, chapter 8. But this is where Paul gets very practical, and the very first thing he has to say as far as direction for us is give your life as a living sacrifice. Your response to what God has done for you is to bring God a spiritual offering. Again, the Christian life is about worship, and worship is about giving of ourselves to God. Jesus said that the Father seeks true worshipers. He seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. First Peter chapter two, Peter says that again that we are priests and we are now bringing sacrifices to God. You've probably heard that said, right? That we're a royal priesthood, but do you understand that the priests have a responsibility? The priests have the responsibility to bring sacrifices to God. In order to view the Christian life clearly, we need to see the believer as a priest and we are bringing an offering to God. We have a priestly service to God, and our priestly service, it's not to bring a goat or a ram or a sheep. Those sacrifices, we know this, they could never really atone for sin. That's why Jesus came, right? But now our priestly duty is to bring our own bodies. That's what we bring, and we lay them on the altar. Now, you, you could say, well, isn't the Christian life about the soul? Isn't it about the spirit? Like, why am I bringing my body? Well, 
it's probably best that you understand this is a reference to your entire body, okay? Sure, we can talk about the spirit, we can talk about the soul, we can talk about the flesh or the mind, but we know that all of those things live inside our body right now, right? And so if we can give our body to God, then the soul and the spirit go with it. So present your bodies. What that tells me is that God wants, wants me, not just the work that I do, right? Not just the things that I do. He desires all of me. Because truth be told, you can do all kinds of work for God, but never give him yourself. And so we need to bring, I would say this, we need to keep our bodies at God's altar as a living sacrifice. That's where we should remain. You see, the ancient Greeks had this way of thinking where they separated the body uh, from, from the spirit. They thought, well, the body, that, that's unspiritual, and so you can do whatever you want with your body, and, and God doesn't care about that. But Paul shows us something different, right? He says that God is concerned about our bodies. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, reminds us that God bought our bodies with a price. Listen to these verses. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, right? So now bring yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. The Jews, as, as well as the, the pagans of that, that first century, they're so familiar with sacrifices. They, they knew what sacrifices were all about. They knew what they cost. And so it's a powerful statement that Paul is making here, right? He, he appeals to them, bring yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, why is the sacrifice living? Well, because it's brought to the altar alive, okay? And the sacrifice stays alive at the altar. This is an ongoing sacrifice. Now, if we don't have the background of all the, the previous chapters of Romans that we've walked through, we might think that Paul is calling us here to a life of misery. But if you remember chapter 8, Paul calls us to die to ourselves so that we might live in Christ. And so to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's, it's not some call to some great burden. It's actually a call to eternal life. It's call, a call to a life of glory. Remember, Paul said that the suffering that we're going to endure in this life is not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And look at the description of it, holy and acceptable to God. When we offer our bodies to God, we offer ourselves to God, he intends for them to be holy and an acceptable sacrifice. You see, the standard for the sacrifice under the old covenant has not changed with the new covenant. Under the old covenant, every sacrifice, it had to be holy. Every sacrifice had to be acceptable to God. Leviticus tells us that the sacrifice should be without blemish. The book of Deuteronomy lets us know the sacrifice, it shouldn't have a, a defect in it. Now, you could look at that and say, well, pastor, I don't feel like I'm holy, and so does that mean I can't bring my life to God? But I believe this, that the holiness that you and I bring to the altar is a decision for holiness. It's a decision to live into holiness. The holiness that you and I bring to the altar is really a yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that Holy Spirit refines us. And so, get this, as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, God is the one who makes our life holy. He comes and he 
Maybe you've seen this. He begins to burn away the impurities in your life. Holy Spirit begins to highlight certain things. And he doesn't only highlight them, but he gives you the ability now to begin to to change and live differently. So practically speaking, what does your body as a living sacrifice look like? A couple of things come to mind. You could take the hands, for example, that you have, and you say, I'm not going to use my hands for evil. Instead, I'm going to take these hands, I'm going to use them to serve the Lord. These hands are yielded now to God's service. I think a living sacrifice looks like eyes that refuse to look at evil, but instead decide to look at the needs around them. They're, They're eyes that see God at work. A living sacrifice looks at feet that no longer walk into temptation, but instead they go where the Lord leads them. Now the ESV says this is an act of, uh, this act of giving ourselves to the Lord, of not holding back. It says this is our spiritual worship. The Greek words literally there, though, they mean a rational service. Now the reason they're translated in the ESV as spiritual worship is that the same words are used to describe a priestly worship activity. In other words, this is how you worship God. This is how you serve God, by giving your body to serve as he leads, you are worshiping God with your body. But, but think about those words, reasonable service, right? If God made you, and he's made you and I to know him and to find our purpose in him, like if that's the only way that our soul is going to find fulfillment, if that's the path to true joy, then doesn't it make sense? Like, wouldn't it be reasonable or a rational service to surrender our body to him? The sacrifice of an animal was reasonable service in the Old Testament, but it was only reasonable service for the one that was bringing the sacrifice, right? It didn't benefit the sacrifice itself. But under the new covenant, because we see in greater ways now the mercies of God, it is reasonable to offer a greater sacrifice, namely ourselves. And then Paul continues this appeal in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Understand, as we uh, begin a new year, I can assure you of this, that on the last day of 2024, you will look different than you do today. I'm not just talking physically. Some of you got a, a workout plan. You're like, yeah, I am. I'm going to look different. But I can tell you this. This year is going to change you. One way or another, it will change you. You will either be conformed to the world this year or you will be transformed by the Spirit of God. You will either be conformed or you will be transformed. Now, the word for conformed is the Greek word from which we get the word schematics, right? Uh, what is a schematic? It's a plan. It's a, it's a blueprint. And Paul is really telling us, stop following the blueprint. Stop following the pattern of this world that is so different than the new life that you've been given. Because we've been changed on the inside, let that change be seen on the outside. And he warns us that the world system, in other words, the popular culture, the popular way of thinking, often is rebellion against God, and culture is going to try to conform you into that ungodly pattern. And so what you need to do, first of all, for the year ahead, is you need to resist being conformed, (laughs) Don't be conformed. Choose nonconformity, right? And Paul's going to tell us how we make that change to nonconformity. You know, it's, it's a difficult change because obviously 
we, ha- we all have certain patterns, right? We all have a, a certain nature where, where we just want to fit in. There's something inside of us that says, man, I just want to go along with the flow. I don't want to make too many waves. I don't make too much noise, right? But the truth is we cannot be acceptable to the world and acceptable to God at the same time, right? When we get into chapter 13, Paul's going to write about submission to authority and And some don't understand all that Paul's writing or even the context it's written in. And so they say, well, we just have to submit to whatever our government says. That's what we do, right? We're going to dig into that a bit more when we get there. But I want to be clear, that's not what Paul is saying because it would be in conflict with what he's writing here in chapter 12, right? He clearly says, don't conform to the world's plan. Don't live your life based on the world's schematics and blueprints, right? James makes it clear, friendship of the world is enmity with God. If you want to be the world's best friend, you make yourself God's enemy. And so you're either going to be conformed or you're going to be transformed. It's one or the other this year. If you are being conformed, you're not going to be transformed. If you're being transformed, you are not conforming. And Paul tells us how we'll be transformed. It is by the renewal of our minds. The Greek word there is the word from which we get metamorphosis, right? You think of a change of a a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? It's this complete change, right? When we become new creations in Christ, there is, as, as my wife already said, this complete change, this radical change that takes place, and that change happens by the renewing of our minds. You see, the battleground between you conforming to the world this year and being transformed, the battleground is right here in your mind. As Christians, we must think differently than the world. And so if you would say today, you know what, my desire for this year is I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be transformed. Well, how do you do that? You do that by renewing your mind. Now, the only problem with that is many believers live their lives not based on changing their thinking. They just live their lives based on how they feel, (laughs) And a life based on feelings basically says, well, how how do I feel right now, right? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my life? How do I feel about worship today? How do I feel?
There is, here's the exciting thing for the year ahead, there is a glorious transformation that can happen in your life in the year ahead. The only other place that Paul uses the Greek word is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to, man, I love these verses, glorious verses. He says this, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Again, they're metamorpho. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformation takes place by the renewing of our mind. It takes place as we behold the face of God, as we spend time in his word, as we see his glory. And so that's my challenge for you for the year ahead. Don't be conformed, church, but be transformed. In order to do that, here's what I think. You might need to silence some voices of the world. You might need to, to, to silence some, some voices that are only going to conform you and shape you into their pattern, which goes against the teaching of God's word. Because listen, when that happens, when that transformation takes place in your life, listen to what happens. It says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and I love this, and perfect. <laughs> I love that description of the will of God. Do you know that today? God's will is good. It's acceptable. It is perfect. That last portion of verse 2, you know, it really describes our growth. And that's what I'm praying for for us corporately as a church, that there would be growth in our lives this year. There would be this transformation. You know, so often people ask me, Pastor, well, how, how do I really hear from God? How do I how do I know what God's will is for my life, right? How do I understand that or, or come to know that? And, and the truth is this. I can tell you an audible voice from God is, is a rare thing. It happens. There, there are times. There are times when God will speak and, man, you just know it's his voice, right? But there's so much that we can know about God's will by reading God's word. And you can say, well, yeah, I, I get that. I, Pastor, I read God's word, but then there's like the details of life. Sometimes I have trouble, you know, knowing what God would have me to do, but don't miss what Paul is saying here, because he's telling us that when our mind is renewed, that, that we are changed, we, we are changed outwardly even, to the point that we can test things, and we can begin to discern if it's the will of God. In other words, we can step out in faith and we can try something. We say, you know what, sometimes you have to do that. I believe this is God's will, and so I'm going to step out in faith and try it. But as we step out in faith, we begin to see either fruit from that, which is a confirmation, this is God's will, or sometimes we receive a warning from the Spirit. No, that's not where I'm calling you to go, right? But you see, it's when we're transformed now that we begin to seek out and we begin to say, you know what, I want to know God's will. I want to know what's good. I want to know what's acceptable. I want to know the perfect will of God. And so I'm going to test things in my life. And I'm going to make sure that this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to make sure that this is where God wants me to go. I'm going to make sure that this is what God wants me to say. And so our goal in life, understand it, it begins to change. Our goal is now to walk in the perfect will of God. It's to be obedient to the Spirit, just like Jesus was. I mean, even Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do, right? Like, if I'm honest, I'm not there yet, <laughs> right? Anyone want to be honest with me? I'm not there yet. I get involved in all kinds of other things, and I'm over here doing this, and I'm doing that, and sometimes I'm convicted. Like, God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. 
Will I get there in this life? I don't know. But I do know this. The closer I get to it, the closer I get to hearing God's voice in and through his word so often, the more rewarding this life is. Again, here's what I know to be true for every one of us in the room. None of us are going to leave 2024 the same way we came in. Again, you may have goals physically, you're going to get in shape, but remember, Paul says that the physical exercise, that's some benefit, (laughs) but spiritual exercise, spiritual growth is far more important. And if you can spend four days in the gym, I sure hope you can get to church at least one day a week. (laughs) But I'm praying that in the year ahead, that as we're transformed on the outside, that, that that proof will be evident on the outside. So that others can look at our lives and say, you know what? What they're walking, that is the will of God. I can see it. It's evident, right? And so very simply, in these two verses, Paul has taught us how to live out the will of God. He's told us that we need to think on the mercies of God. Again, his mercy past, present, and yes, even into the future. It is by the mercies of God that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, meaning Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. I remember when I was six years old, I remember giving my life to the Lord at six years old. I don't know, the memory just sticks with me. I was driving in, in my, my dad's Chevy van. We were riding along, that old black Chevy van. It was the coolest thing. Every time we got out, we felt like the A-team. It was amazing. But I remember sitting in that van. It was a rainy day. And I remember giving my life to the Lord. I recognized even at, at six years old that, that I needed a, a Savior. But here's the reality. I can tell you, I spent a lot of years with Jesus as my Savior before I truly made him my Lord. What I mean by that is I I trusted him to get me to heaven, but I made my own decisions from day to day. I was the Lord of my life. I called the shots. And yes, it is possible for Jesus to be your Savior and not your Lord. And I think that's why Paul is challenging believers here to yield their entire self to him. You see, that's what it really means to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And for some of you, Maybe 2023 was the year that you made him Savior, but I'm praying 2024 is the year that you make him Lord. I'm praying the year ahead is the year that you actually, amen, that you actually give him control over your life. The year that you begin to do his will, not just your will. The year you stop saying, I want all God God can give me, and instead you begin to say, I'm going to give him all of me. I'm going to give him everything that, that he deserves. And you may say today, well, pastor, I don't even know what God's will is for my life. How do I figure that out? Don't forget, Paul just told us, don't be conformed. Resist, push back on conformity to the thoughts and to the actions of this world. Instead, focus on God's word. Focus on time with him, and you will be transformed. You will be changed by the renewing of your mind. And when that takes place, your life will be in the will of God. As your mind is renewed, Your life will prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. On the other hand, maybe you're coming into this year and you say, Pastor, I already know it today. I I know God's will for my life. I know what he's calling me to do. I'm sure of that. God bless you if that's the case. But here's the thing. Even if you know it, you can't prove it apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right? And so there you go. Week one, 2024, we got through two verses. (laughs) But these are two verses, I believe, that if they're understood, will radically change your life. I believe these are two verses that can set a pattern for your Christian walk in in the years to come. 
don't usually give memory verses, but here's one for the year. Memorize these two verses. And so I want to read them to you. Would you stand with me? I want to read these verses to you from the expanded translation that comes from the Greek. This is uh, from a, a book called Word Studies in the Greek New Testament, author Woost. It's the expanded translation of these verses. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to, to meditate on these words. And then before we come to the communion table as we sing, I want you to just respond to the Holy Spirit, however he's leading in this moment. But listen to these words. I therefore beg of you, please, brethren, through the mercies of God, by a once and for all presentation to place your bodies at the disposal of God, a sacrifice, a living one, a holy one, well-pleasing, your rational, sacred service. And stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but it's patterned after this age. But change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of your inner being by the renewing of your mind, resulting in you putting to the test what is the will of God, the good and well-pleasing and complete will, and having found that, it meets the specifications, placing your whole approval on it. Church, this is Paul's appeal. And I would say this, it's my appeal to you as well today. As we prepare to come to the communion table, I want you to take a moment. And I just want to ask, will you respond to Paul's appeal today? It's one thing to hear the word. It's another thing to respond to. And so take a moment as we prepare to come to the communion table. Maybe you need to take a moment between the Lord and just say, Lord, would you help me? Help me to respond to this word. Help me in this year. Lord God, I want to give you all of me. Lord, I'm sorry for always coming to you, wanting all that you have for me. Lord God, Lord, I want to give you all that you deserve. If that's your prayer, begin to just take some time to pray that this morning. The communion table was, is a wonderful place where we remember the mercies of God in view of God's mercy. How will you respond?